Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the midweek edition of the VR Podcast on DK Sports Radio. This is your host, Jared Prugar. I hope you're all having a great week so far as we gear up for the new year. Now, let's analyze the quarterback play of the Nittany Lions this year. It was sporadic. It was up and down. It featured a, a backup quarterback running the ball 17 times in a game uh, without throwing a pass. It involved fumbles and interceptions and touchdowns and yards, and it involved anything and everything that you could imagine. Sean Clifford, fresh off a 2019 season where he was was very successful under Ricky Ronnie's offense, um, did a very good job. He he. Now he also had weapons like KJ Hamler and Journey Brown and and guys like that that uh, the offense was was built around. Um, coming into 2020, you you'd expect him to take. Um, take off right where he left off uh, in 2019, and, and unfortunately that wasn't the case. Obviously, Kirk Shiraka came comes in, offense gets tweaked and, and changed just a little bit, and there's no offseason, there's no spring ball, there, there's, no, there's no install. You lose Journey Brown to start the season right before uh, it end, or before the season starts. Ricky Slade is now at Old Dominion, one of the top running backs from last year. Uh, and then you lose Noah Kane on the first first series of the game against Indiana and he's out for the year. Um, then you also have lost KJ Hamler to the draft. You've lost countless weapons already and it's, it's barely week one and, and it creates the perfect storm of Sean Clifford having to do too much and, or feeling that he had to do too much and not letting the game come to him um, rather than going out and, and trying to, to put things on his shoulders and bear that burden. If if you listen to anything that he ever says after games, he always shoulders the load. And, and as as a quarterback, it's, that's to be expected. But it's not always his fault. However, a large part of the the inconsistency and the lack of success at the beginning of the season in the first five games was, in fact, the fault of Clifford. He had eight picks in those five games. Um, often throw and, and and then you sprinkle in some fumbles there. And, and that's a recipe for disaster. Now, while you're doing that, you also have some linemen out of position. Um, you then bench C.J. Thorpe and you move Will, Fry, Will Freeze to, to guard. So it, it's just a situation where it, it took a while for the offense to mesh. And it was an ugly, ugly circumstance until they finally meshed in week six. And then after that, Clifford becomes a great game manager, and you kind of and, and the game comes more natural. He's not forcing things. He's not forcing the issue, trying to do too much and trying to be the hero. And it worked out well for the Nittany Lions. They finally started calling plays that that didn't put all the emphasis on him. Now you look at the Illinois game. They ran a lot of short intermediate routes, and the first play of the game, you throw to Jahan Dotson. He's no more than five yards beyond the line of or beyond the line of scrimmage, and he takes it seventy-five yards to the house. So. When you're able to do things like that, it just opens up everything. Now, with that said, the Nittany Lions also were able to establish a running game, and that was incredibly important, too, with Kevon Lee um, sprinkled in with Devin Ford and Keziah Holmes at times, too. So that goes from an inexperienced group to now one of the more experienced groups coming back as far as the running backs go. And, and the line play got significantly better, too. It was just a kind of a perfect storm of issues at the beginning of the year for Penn State, and they just couldn't they couldn't out out 
outrun them. And I and I don't think that they lost five games because the opponents were better. Um, I think they lost five games because they beat themselves. Uh, you look at Indiana; they came they come within inches uh, of winning that game. And I think that game itself, if you if you change the outcome, this season is probably way different. Obviously, you don't have the record setting. 0-5 start, uh, first team ranked in the top, AP top 10 to then go 0-5. But I think you actually have a, comp- a more competitive Penn State team uh, down the line. So I think it's important to know that you know those, those issues at the beginning of the year just kind of spiraled. And, and they just kind of couldn't get out of the way. They, they couldn't get out of their own way at the beginning of the season. And when you have freshman playmakers on offense and like Keandre Lambert-Smith or Parker Washington, coupled with Jahan Dawson, who's, who's just getting his really his first taste of starting and being a number one receiver at the collegiate level, it, it adds up. And then you have a, a Sean Clifford that, that throws the ball and, and, and tries to force things. And I, I, I talked about this in my most recent piece for DK Pittsburgh Sports uh, about the inconsistencies and, and how they have to, to overcome them if they want to get to the, to back to the upper tier of, of college football. But a lot of times, Sean Clifford looked the part. You look at the Iowa game where he comes in and, and throws back-to-back touchdowns. And then you look at you know the Nebraska game where he throws a pass that probably – any anybody listening could have thrown a better pass in that situation um, than what he did. So it was a, definitely a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type deal with with Clifford this year. And then Levis, you know, is a, a, a serviceable backup. He did well. He he didn't do anything to really hurt Penn State when he was in there, which I think is exactly what you want from a from a backup quarterback perspective. Now they did deploy him in a, in a multitude of ways. Um, you know, he was more of a running threat behind the line of scrimmage rather than the passing threat. And don't get me wrong, I think he can sling it at times too. But he is such a strong, powerful runner. Um, I'm thinking I my the first comparison that comes to mind at the professional level is he's just a little bit taller of a Taysom Hill. And I, I don't think that's a bad comparison, but I think that could be the potential ceiling of Levis. I don't know that he's going to have that type of impact at the next level, but I think if Penn State can work a way into using him in that capacity, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing um, moving forward. But Levis runs the ball rather well, and, and he's their short yardage back. And now, don't get me wrong, Penn State doesn't go under center. Um, that's just the way they do it. There's no fullback. And they don't go under center, so it's not the Penn State of old by any means. But in short yardage, when you have a powerful runner like Levis and he's able to get wherever he can go, it's uh, with fourth and one or third and one in in those short-to-gain situations, it's a good problem to have. Um, I don't necessarily understand some of the ways that they use him, um, but it, it – I obviously don't get paid the type of money that Kirk Shiraka does to make those calls offensively. But if you can get the type of play that they had in those last four games, both Levis running the football and passing to an extent, uh, and Clifford with his game management and, and, and his ability to really just manage the game very well and and not turn the ball over like he did in the first five games, I think you're going to get a really good situation uh, coming into the spring with Penn State. Now, of course, there are other quarterbacks on the roster and Micah Bowens and um, and Mason Stahl but, and Taquan Roberson, but those guys aren't really the threats that, 
that Will Levis and, and Sean Clifford have pushing them uh, to get better each week. Uh, I, I think they'll all get their chance, more so uh, Roberson and and Bowens, but it's it's anybody's ball game. And I think if if Sean Clifford can go out and compete and play the way that he did in the first four or the last four games of this season in twenty nine and twenty nineteen, I think he's going to be a top tier quarterback moving forward for the Nittany Lions. Now, will that happen? That's anybody's guess. And any and and with what twenty twenty has taught us, anything can happen as far as that as far as that goes. position is pretty much set in stone pending an unforeseen transfer or or what have you where Penn State is really making their their niche right now is an area that really they haven't been known for in quite some time since it really um, came to light and that's the transfer portal since in the last two weeks they've landed three athletes from the in the transfer portal um, today's today they they got Derek Tangelo from Duke, a defensive lineman who racked up quite an impressive career with the Blue Devils, um, already graduated. He picked up 40 tackles, two sacks, and, and forced three fumbles in 2020. And and that's what Penn State needs up front. Um, and, and that's not going to be the last transfer they get this year. Now, they also landed a, a cornerback from South Carolina and uh, Johnny Dixon to go with John Lovett from the uh, last week uh, from Baylor, the running back. And, and Penn State needs those guys. You know, you, you have a very young core, so you need that experience. Love it, like I've said before, is going to be an experienced guy, a depth guy in the running back room. He's not going – I don't think he's going to outperform Kevon Lee. I don't think he's going to outperform Devin Ford or Keziah Holmes. Now, whether those two are there at the, at the, at the beginning of spring camp or spring ball – as to be determined. I think the way that the season panned out, you still have Noah Kane coming back, and and you have a three headed three headed monster potentially with with Ford, Kevon Lee, and Kane. And when that happens, there's going to be an odd man out, and and Keziah Holmes could be that guy. Now, like I like we've talked about before, he's not necessarily supposed to have played this year. It was supposed to be more of a learning year, but he was thrust into the into the lineup multiple times and and you have situations like that 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 come about but these guys are Penn State and James Franklin now they said that they were going to be active in the transfer portal this majestic place where you can go for the island of misfit toys essentially for college uh, football athletes and, and into other sports as well but they're getting these experienced guys from these talented conferences uh, you got Tangelo from Duke um, you've got Johnny Dixon from Baylor, or I'm sorry, Johnny Dixon from South Carolina, and then you've got John Lovett from from Baylor. So you've got the Big Twelve, the SEC, and and the ACC all represented in, in these guys that they're getting. So these guys have got the talent to play at, at the Power Five level, and they're they're maximizing their opportunities at Penn State and in areas of need as well. Penn State lacked at, at the corner position. You have Tariq Castro Fields who who was hurt most of the year. You had Keaton Ellis who had some issues as well that, that prohibited him from getting on the field. And then you've got 
you know, a Marquise Wilson or Joey Porter Jr. that that really got the bulk of the time. And you lose a little bit at, at safety as well with Lamont Wade and, and Jaquan Brisker. While they haven't decided what's going on just yet, uh, as far as next year goes, you have that as well. So you look at a Castro Fields type if he comes back for a se- uh, for another year, and I think that he would be a candidate to do so. He's going to be a guy that I would try to to tr- to to make versatile, where he's getting opportunities to play both at the corner position and at safety. And if you're able to do that and, and get that out of him, I think that's a great hauling and getting him back for that for that year. Now, if he goes out, if he went out this year and had a successful season as a cornerback, I don't think that he would come back. But because of the injuries and because of his limited availability um, on the field, I think that's the issue uh, moving forward. Now, a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more about Johnny Dixon. He had 34 tackles for, for South Carolina this season, as well as five pass breaks, breakups in 10 games for the Gamecocks. So while Will Muschamp wasn't always the most successful of head coaches, he did uh, get defensive guys ready to go, and he did get guys to prepared for the league. So, you know, you have that, that pedigree from South Carolina, and you get that, you know, if you can get that, product, that type of production uh, from, a, from a Dixon type, I think that's going to be even more uh, beneficial for Penn State moving forward. Obviously, add some depth, add some experience. And then you look at, a, like I said, like uh, with John Lovett, it's a depth experience guy as well. I think Dixon and Tangelo are going to be immediate impact type of guys uh, that Penn State has gotten. I don't, like I said, I don't foresee Lovett getting that that type of that type of playing time moving forward, but you know anything is possible uh, with with however the the things things make out. And I know Penn State is is in the running for quite a quite a few other um, potential targets as well. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of fill this out. Like I've said before, James Franklin has, has been adamant in getting uh, guys along the defensive line, and, and there are a lot of holes up there now. You've got. Uh, Jason Owe off to the NFL. You've got um, Shaka Tony off to the NFL. You've got Shelton and um, and Judge Culpepper that are that are no longer there, and Shane Simmons no longer there. So there are a lot of holes up front for the Nittany Lions, and there are a lot of question marks. Getting a guy like Tangelo, you know, that's gonna that's gonna help. That's gonna help a big time up front. Six two three ten. Um, defensive tackle, that's going to be huge for Penn State moving forward. So being able to to get guys like that is going to be going to be important. And and you know it, it'll be interesting to see how they fill out the rest of those transfers. I'm not exactly sure how much space they have scholarship wise, but you look at you look at what they've got, what they've lost, and and they're down three defensive tackles already. Uh, you've, you're losing two ends. So you know it's it's going to be one of those things where they they need some some quality up there up front, and when that happens, it allows the linebackers to play to play better and the sa- secondary to play better because they're pressuring, they're stopping the run, they're they're doing this that and the other thing. But I think it's a, it's a great get for Penn State, um, and moving forward, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of this plays out and seeing who get who they get um, as, as they continue. Uh, through the the transfer portal, but so far so good for Penn State. They're doing a lot better in this class, um, in in this opportunity 
to get these guys than they did, I think, recruiting-wise this this cycle. So I think that might have been the mentality, knowing what they were losing, what they had coming back, and knowing that, you know what, it, it's, it might not be the easiest of deals with recruiting uh, and, and how they went about it with the coaching turnover and, and everything in, of that nature. So let's focus on the on the transfer portal, um, and and they're do- and so far so good. You know, you've got three guys in in two weeks that I think are going to be very very big parts of the Nittany Lions uh, of future in one way or another moving forward. So kudos to to Franklin and his staff for that for right now, but there's still quite a long time until the Nittany Lions get back on campus and until uh, spring ball starts. So anything can happen, but it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out moving forward. For now, though, uh, that marks the end of our of our podcast today. Thank you for listening. As always, this has been your host, uh, Jared Prugar on DK Sports Radio. Uh, thank you for listening to the We Are Podcast, and I'll talk to you soon. Park University in the heart of downtown Pittsburgh, they understand there's no substitute for real-world experience and career-building connections. Their innovative curriculum engages students with distinctive experiential learning opportunities. Point Park's pioneering co-op program empowers qualified students to work in full-time, paid positions with their corporate partners while earning college credits. Visit pointpark.edu works to learn more. Career ready. That's the point. Point Park University. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.